Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Right on top of Caleb Rowe. Now the stage is a bit shifted over to the right this year. Change range. The 2-1 is a fly ball to deep center field. Way back. Way gone. What a shot by Bailey Hemphill over the 220 sign and right at the straightaway center field camera for Mima ESPN. We're tied up two here in the bottom of the first. And that is about where the stage was last year. So if it hadn't moved, right, that hits the top. Didn't think we'd get a Scooby-Doo reference in today, but hey, why not? That's just, that was my show. That was a good day. I know. I was uh, Scrappy-Doo for Halloween one year. Oh, I need to hear about that. (laughs) (laughs) But kids today, they don't understand what Halloween costumes were back in the day. You had to go. If you didn't sweat buckets and have problems breathing, you weren't wearing a good costume. the 1-0 to Alyssa. She lays it down beautifully. Oh, my goodness. And the throw is high. The throw is high. Brown falls down. The ball is way out around the corner. Claire Jenkins comes around the score. Alyssa Brown rounding third. Heading home. It's an inside the park home run on a fun. I did that once literally. Strike three, and that will do it. Alabama advances to their 14th Super Regional round. They continue to be the only team in the nation that has advanced to every Super Regional round there has ever been. Welcome in, folks. We are back. I know you're very excited. You've heard our ads for months. We are back. It is episode two of the Out of the Box podcast. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury here with you as March has come, as has conference play, and a lot, Tom Canterbury, has happened across the softball world, but especially with Alabama, things are going pretty well. Yeah, you know, the uh, team that was only picked to be eighth in the SEC by the coaches at the beginning of the year is uh, one of only two undefeated teams left in America, and uh, pitching really well, hitting pretty well at times and uh i'm i'm pretty excited moving forward to get conference play going and 
uh, can't do a whole lot better than undefeated. That's right. <laughs> definitely not. And <laughs> I will say that as we are recording, Florida Accurate. State and Alabama are undefeated. I don't expect that to change this week. Right. Although Florida State does go to Arizona this weekend, which should be an interesting challenge. But we've Alabama been there. And Florida we, State yeah. undefeated. And uh, we've been in Arizona and took care of our business. We'll see what Florida State can do. Yeah. Good luck. And they think <laughs> I pl- I think they played them twice. Uh, so that should be a fun series between Florida State and Arizona this weekend. A lot to cover. We are, again, going around the bases as we did in Episode 1. At the plate, we're going to talk about Alabama. When we advance to first, we're going to talk about the SEC. I have a lot to talk about with Florida. I'm very intrigued by that team. We will steal second with the great Caleb Bro. There's a reason we put her in the stealing second spot, former Alabama softball player. And then we will round third with Madison Shipman, former Tennessee volunteer. And then we will head home and talk about what we might change from what we said in the first episode. But before we dive into everything else, mm-hmm. let's talk about the people who have listened. Thank you so much, everybody. 730 plus listens. Wow. Many subscribers, many five-star reviews. Thank you, supporters, for being with us for the first episode. I hope it's not just 10 people listening to it over and over and over again. (laughs) My grandmother has really worn out her bandwidth. (laughs) (laughs) But if it is somebody listening a bunch, we appreciate you for listening. But yeah, it's it's really cool to know that people are, are listening every once in a while when people come up to us. You know, talking about listening to the broadcast of the games, and then we would we would talk about the podcast and look and see three or four extra followers after each game. That was that's pretty cool. And like I said, we appreciate uh, people listening and thinking that we might know a little bit of what we're talking about, <laughs> or at least they're somewhat entertaining discussing foolishness. We'll see. Yes, well, foolishness is I think the key <laughs> word. And speaking of the Twitter, follow us at out of the box underscore pod. We're going to say that at the beginning and the end. The beginning because some people, you know. Yeah. Might just be popping in and popping around. <laughs> we want them to catch the Twitter handle at the opener at out of the box underscores pod. So Alabama. Yes. 20 and 0. Yes. Fifth in one poll, sixth in the other. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot that has happened, and yet at the same time, these first 20 games have really flown by. Right. And while it wasn't the most challenging slate so far, Tom, I can't really say I'm too shocked at the record. I thought we might see a loss here and there, but Alabama has come up with the big hits when it's mattered and have certainly looked really good in the circle with all five pitchers. Yeah, I, I think most importantly is you're seeing Alabama getting some of those clutch hits that they may, might not have been getting last year to get some of the uh, the close games going Alabama's way that, that they dropped the last couple of seasons. I think that's been huge. Uh, you're seeing Alabama being able to do what they're built to do offensively, which is get on base. Uh, take that extra base, be aggressive base stealing, be aggressive on the base paths, and then uh, and then those RBI producers are doing their job uh, with Bailey Hempill and Kaylee Tao and KB Sides knocking the runs in. You're seeing some of those freshmen that were you know the rising sophomores from last year's freshman class have really uh, seemed to improve. KB Sides, as I mentioned, Maddie Morgan have really uh, added some uh, some consistency. I guess would be the best best yeah. way to put it in the in the lineup. Um, and then, uh, and then, like you said, pitching wise, Montana Fouts. Here, here she is comes. That That's pretty Can much all you have stats? to say. Please do. Okay. Yes. This is as it stands now. And when this episode is released, I don't think we will have seen her in the circle unless something has gone horribly wrong. She is eight and zero in eight appearances and eight starts. The ERA, Tom. Yes. Point five three. That is zero point five three. Mm-hmm. Fifty three innings pitched, twenty nine hits, six runs, four earned. And then the fun part, four walks, 70 strikeouts. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's hard to do that against air, 
much less <laughs> against against opponents that are trying to hit it. And and Montana Fouts has had the had the ball in most of the toughest games for Alabama this year, the the marquee matchups. And I think that's going to be the case moving forward as well. And uh, and she has had. Uh, no ill effects from moving from the high school ranks to, to the college ranks as uh, she stepped right in and, and she's been ready to go from day one. Uh, when Coach Murphy said on this podcast last episode and uh, as she, he said in other media outlets as well that she's the hardest worker, hard, hardest working pitcher he's ever had. And she's only been here for six, six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that going with the chance she may be the most talented. In addition to that, it, uh, it becomes scary for, uh, for the opponent. That's for sure. We always like to talk about moments in a season. I would like to take you back, Tom, and listeners, to the moment that I realized how special Montana Fouts was. Arizona, Mm. fourth inning. They get a run. They have runners on second and third, nobody out. Alabama's up two to one at that moment after the run scored by the Wildcats in the fourth. They're they're going wild at the at the new Hildebrand yes. Stadium. It's raucous. We yes. can't hear it because we're inside the press box, but we can <laughs> w- the, see it. The beautiful palatial uh, <laughs> press box that did not have great did water. Not, did not have no <laughs> or good natural sound. But other than no. that, it's very nice. Yes, very nice. Yes. So one run scored. It was off an error. Runners on second and third. Nobody out. Montana Fouts strikes out the next three batters. That said so much to me about her maturity, her confidence, her poise, all of the above, because that was, I believe, her second start, third start, something along those lines. Right, yeah. And just to see her do that against a top 10 team, unbelievable. Yeah, that was a a great moment, like you said. And then uh, it kind of reminded me of, you know, something that Alexis Osorio used to do at Alabama would be, you know, bases be loaded, then strike out the side type (laughs) thing. You know, and and so I, I think there's a lot of that, you know, the same type of, of fire that Osorio had, Montana Fouts has it, because she's not, when you look at, you know, comparing her to Cornell on the, Sarah Cornell on the team, Cornell's a lot more emotional, you know, f- you know visibly emotional. Courtney Gettens, I would throw in there right, as well. Right, yeah. Uh, where Fouts is more steely-eyed and, and takes care of her business, but at the same time, you, you, you know how, how hard she's worked to be there, and she has the capability to just go out there and, and blow it past everybody. And it's been a nice change to see Alabama not really giving up the free pass right. this year. And also a nice change for us. We've been able to pretty much fill out the lineup before every game. Now, there have been a few changes here and there, but it's pretty clear what Patrick Murphy wants in the field. And right. we think we've got the nine. The batting order, which we're going to talk about in a second, is kind of up in the air. But in terms of defense, despite a few miscues last weekend in the Crimson Classic, it's set. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Defensively, you have your, your top lineup with Schroeder and left, Brown and center, uh, KB sides and right, Maddie Morgan at third, Claire Jenkins at short, uh, Skylar Wallace at second, uh, Kaylee Tao at first. And I think overall, if, if you had your, your druthers, you could have Reagan Dykes behind the plate. Bailey Hempel is a very capable catcher, but Reagan has the arm a little bit more than Bailey does. So you have her back there with Bailey at the DP. That's your best nine as far as defensively. Now you, you talk about what the best lineup is. That is where there has been some shakeups because of, and it all pretty much stems, I think from who you want to lead off. Yeah. Once you have the lead off set, you have the rest of the nine done. Uh, but you, you've seen Alyssa Brown, KB sides, Kaylee Tao, all in the lead off spot. They've all had success there, but they've all, they've also had issues to where you need to make a change. So it's, um, you know, that's that that has been the main issue for the lineup for Patrick Murphy. But uh, all, pretty much all three of those uh, leadoff people, though, have led to a, you know, success. Yeah. You know, in, in the lineup. 
I don't know who I prefer more in the one spot because I see the Kaylee Tal move to one, and it makes sense. We talked about it on the broadcast. It's what Florida does with Amanda Loren. She leads right. off. You want your best batter, or at least most consistent batter, going number one every time. And after the first inning, probably an opportunity for, for RBIs. For yes, Tal. many right. times yes. over the last few games. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't really driving in the runs in those games. And then Alyssa Brown at one. We saw that a little bit this weekend. That's really how Patrick Murphy opened the season. I, I just don't know which I prefer in terms of, you know, it, game three of a conference series, 1-1, which do you think will be more productive? I might lean Kaylee Tao and lead off and have Alyssa Brown in the nine hole and see how it goes. Hope she can get on base maybe in the second or third inning, let Tao come up and drive her in. But there are a lot of options, and I'm not sure if there's one that's quote-unquote better than the right. other one. Well, it depends on, I think it depends on the matchup. You yeah. Know, what, what type of pitcher are you facing? Uh, you know, is it one that Alyssa Brown can get the ball, you know, on the ground uh, against, maybe draw an extra walk or two? Uh, if that's the case, then I think you go with, with Alyssa because she can get on base and, and really get Sakag rolling there. Uh, if it's one that Alyssa's having issues getting the ball down and, and getting on base with, then maybe you go with, with a towel or even a sides who has really shown, we've talked about her being a five-tool player since she's been here, and she's really shown that here this year. She can slap, she can hit for power, she can uh, do whatever you need her to do, and she has a good eye as well. You know, Maybe she maybe she's the answer, depending on what uh, Tao and Brown have done the rest of that, ser- that series. So uh, I think it's more of a, you know, who are you playing, what's the matchup, than right. even, you know, what we've seen in the last month or two. All right, I'll pose a hypothetical as it stands right now, Skylar Wallace leads the team in batting average. Would not have predicted that after Troy. Yeah. But she leads the team in batting average. Do you consider moving her up anywhere, or do you feel comfortable with her in the 7-8-9 spot that we've seen so much this year? Um, I I think you can consider it, but then then you're you kind of have to play a little bit of, of psychological. You have to be a psychiatrist a little bit there. Right. Is she gonna get to the leadoff spot and press? Or, you know, it, how comfortable is she there? If she's comfortable there, I'd, I'd be fine with her. I'm fine with her at number two as well. Uh, that, that's the thing about, about this lineup is you have a lot of options, and it's because there's, everybody's so multi-talented. Right. So no one is, is slotted in a specific spot, and they can't go anywhere else. And then there is one spot in the batting order that is secure, I think, until the end of time, and that is the <laughs> three-hole. That is Bailey Hempill, right. who has had – a very interesting year. I don't really know. I don't want to call it up and down because it's been a lot of ups, but you know, you see her go two for 13 for a weekend, but the two are both home runs right. that were game changers at the time or just a big day. She's done really well in the final game of some of these weekend tournaments. She's batting 339 right now with seven homers, 26 runs driven in. Should Patrick Murphy be expecting more from Bailey Hempill? Because every hit she's getting is a home run. Or a double. Yeah. But lately, they've been a bit few and far between. She's right. had some really tough bounces, some tough uh, line outs to third base, like six times in one yeah. game, it felt like. I think that she is a possibility to make a play at SEC Player of the Year with the number she's got if she gets the batting average up. Yeah, I think the the difference between Alabama uh, run ruling a lot of the people in this past weekend's Crimson Classic and you know having to squeak by with one or two run games was Bailey Hempill. And because, like you said, she was she was hitting the ball hard all mm-hmm. weekend long, but it was at people all weekend long, and then, you know that happens sometimes. That's not you know nothing against Bailey. That's not you know just that's that's the game. You know sometimes that happens. So uh, I I think if if her batting average is a little bit higher, I wouldn't I would not even be opposed 
Because I go out on a limb on this at with Bailey Hempel as a leadoff hitter for Alabama. I could see it, but she would have to have that batting average up high. Right. That's yeah. got to be north of 400 right. if yeah. you're going to make if, that if move. That's, right. So, and I think she's capable of that, but like I said, it's just some bad luck here the last couple of weeks and especially this past weekend uh, where some really hard hit balls that, you know, we, there was one that sticks out in my mind against Michigan State, I think on Friday, where their their third baseman is five foot four and she hits a rocket and and the third baseman is able to leap and look like she was going to be able to dunk a basketball as high as she <laughs> as she jumped on that one and made the catch. And it, was, it that was just happening to her all weekend long. On a positive note, the entire Alabama offense didn't shut down because of it. Right. But again, that's the difference between three, four runs and maybe, you know, six or seven runs. And you're right. That brings up again the Arizona game. That was a game that we talked a lot about during the broadcast. KB sides went over. Bailey Hempill went over. Kaylee Town went over. Alabama won that game six one. Right. A year ago, that is not the case. Exactly. So that you know, I I agree that I think you know you're looking once you get into conference play, especially you're going to have to have some more production from Bailey Hempill. Uh, it's it's hard to say that she's leading the team in, in home runs right. RBI. She's in the top ten in the SEC in both those categories. But as far as just getting the more consistent hits, I uh, know that's something that he'll be looking for. Well, something very consistent throughout the season has been the pitching. We've already talked about Montana Fouts. Sarah Cornell has been really nice, oftentimes coming in relief. She's had a couple saves this season. Mm -hmm. Courtney Gettens has had some up-and-down moments this year. But the question becomes, Tom, what do you do about conference play with this rotation? Because we assume Montana Fouts Friday, Montana Fouts Sunday. Right. What do you do about Saturday? Do you start Sarah Cornell or do you start Courtney Gettens and let Cornell come in maybe in the fifth and try and close it out? I think there's a lot that Patrick Murphy can play with here. Yeah, I agree. I think there there's a lot you can do if, if you know, and we will be playing a conference series here this yeah, that's next right. weekend. Uh, if it was me, I would do Fouts, Cornell, Fouts, and then have Courtney available. And then, and then I, again, you're looking at matchups. Right. You know, if somebody... Um, if somebody hits the hits the hard stuff really really well, then maybe you don't throw Sarah out there. Maybe you go with Courtney in that situation. But yeah, and I I think Courtney is available. She can pitch more than once in in a weekend. You know, she can if she needs to come in in relief for Montana in one of those games. You can do that uh, and still start on Saturday. I don't think that that'd be that'd be an issue. Um, but then you know, and as always, everyone's always available. And I don't think you you forget Crystal Goodman either. I think that's she's, right. I think she is a uh, she is a, an extra weapon for this this team uh, that you can throw in. I wouldn't pitch her for an extended amount of time in a conference game, um, but you know she can come in maybe one time through the order and 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 do some damage. Yeah, a couple innings of work I think yeah. would uh, be good for crystal goodman so as we look at the sec and we're going to talk more about the conference when we advance to first and we're about to do that because we've been swinging we're about to put it in play (laughs) where does alabama fit because coming in you said third in the preseason i said fifth yeah i feel like as it stands now and granted we have not really seen any of these teams in person or on tv but as it stands now i feel like i have less questions about alabama than i do about say Florida, Georgia, maybe not Tennessee, but South Carolina, Arkansas, I'm not quite as sold on them as I thought I would be at this point. And I feel like Alabama, sure, they have some weaknesses, they have some inconsistencies, but not a lot of question marks at this point in the season. And I think everyone has some concerns and inconsistencies. I mean, there's nobody right now in the conference or, you know, even Florida State outside the conference having yeah, you know, to walk off Toledo this past weekend and a lot, you know, they're not blowing everybody out either. It's just 
I think everyone's there. There are a lot more good softball players to go around. So there's going to be fewer blowouts in, in particular, but uh, I think Alabama fits right at the top. Uh, I think they're, they are an absolute contender for this conference. That means they're a contender for the national. I agree. And with the conference slate scheduled as it is, Alabama can really bulk up their record and get that number pretty gaudy before South Carolina, Florida, LSU, all that in the back half of the season. And we will talk about all those teams in just a second because we have finally put it in play. We have hinted out to the gap and we're advancing to first here on Out of the Box. Coming up, we will break down the SEC, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, all of that coming up on the other side here on episode two of Out of the Box. And we're advancing to first here on Out of the Box. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury here with you. This is a podcast about college softball, but we focus a lot on Alabama because we are the two radio guys and, you know, talk about what you know. Yeah, that's, yeah that, that is the first, uh, the first rule. Yes. Talk about what you know. <laughs> but we also know the SEC pretty well, I think, because we yeah. see a lot of these teams rotationally. We've got Missouri coming to Tuscaloosa this weekend. That should be a very fun series. But this league, as we kind of break it down, we're not going to go over everybody. But this league is interesting this year because I feel like for the first time, it's about as wide open as it possibly can be. Not everybody can win it, but I see six potential champions maybe if everybody's playing pretty well through conference play. Yeah, I think you're seeing parity in the SEC, which is also equaling you're seeing parity nationally. Uh, And I think that that's nothing but good for the entire sport of softball. Um, And as I I said, and I will talk about our, you know, we'll kind of revisit some of our uh, preseason predictions, but I kind of saw. I, I think that you know this this will be the year somebody other than Florida wins it. Um, that that they have been that they have been interesting. I guess would be a, a good word for it. Yeah, I um I did not believe you in the early part of the year. <laughs> I, I was oh Kelly Barnhill. That's yeah. uh that's yeah her right. Um, yes. Amanda Lorenz. Her Kendall Lindemans. There. Her right. Um, the names that are there are gaudy, but it's really who isn't there that's most important. And you talked a lot about Alicia Casio. Uh, graduating at Florida mm-hmm. and how that was a big hole. We've seen Natalie Lugo come in. She, I guess, is who they've labeled their number two pitcher. She's second on the team in innings pitch by a wide margin. But I've kept up with the stats. Tim Walton really hasn't thrown her against tough competition, although she did start against UCLA in the four nothing defeat to the Bruins. But I'm just, I'm just not sure that they can get through conference play with just Kelly Barnhill because I don't no. think Natalie Lugo is there yet. I can tell you right now, they can't. They're, yeah. they're, they're going to have to have a number two. Right. It's, you know, gone are the days when you could have a Monica Abbott that'll just pitch all three games and, and shut everybody down. It's just that it's their, the hitters are too good. Uh, everybody, you know, the people know the pitchers. I, I just don't see that happening. So they're going to have to have a number two to Barnhill. Um, and I think it's going to end up being Lugo, but yeah, she becomes a very hittable number two. And then the second time around, that's what I've said from the beginning is the second time around on Barnhill is when she becomes even more hittable. And then what we saw out in in California uh, in in the losses that they had when Barnhill pitched was she was getting called for that illegal pitch. Yeah. If if you call, if she gets called for the illegal pitch, she becomes very hittable. Yes. uh, All the way around. Um, So, you know, it's, she, it's, 
it's an interesting situation to see what they're going to be able to do pitching wise. And also when I'm talking about uh, Acasio, I, I was thinking, you know, losing her as the number two. I think they're also missing her bat as well, yeah. which was, I, I did not see that coming. I wasn't expecting that either. And also I think Kaylee Kavistad, another name that they're missing. Yes. The Janelle Wheaton. I mean, they're missing some good players who help make that team potent, but Tom five games in California and five runs. Yeah. It's surprising. Shut out by UCLA. Uh, beat Washington. Kelly Barnhill pitched a gym. Beat Washington one nothing. Yeah, just, that, that was a uh, yeah. Her and Alvello going head to head. Yeah, was, you know that was great. You saw Oregon that game. Florida got two. The New Mexico game just one run. Very bizarre. And that was actually a New Mexico team that we saw out in Tucson. I just don't know what to make of this offense because I look at the numbers early on. It was fine. Maybe it was just a weird California thing. But I think. I, I think that there's some real holes with this Florida team that mm-hmm. we were not expecting coming into the year, at well, least to this degree. Yeah, and I think some of it too was you know, Lindemann coming from Minnesota. We expect her to just be you know plug and play, ready to go, and she has not been as as uh, productive as as we thought at the plate for them. And yeah, they're just they they are having issues trying to find out who's going to be that starting nine. Uh, you know, kind of the issue Alabama had the last couple of, of years is finding out. You know, what is our best our best nine out there? And Tim Walton's having an issue with that right now. I'm not going to pull the... Well, we'll get to that later. Okay. Got, it's m- right. many segments. Plenty. Many segments. Yes. Yes, we're advancing to first here, talking about the SEC. All right, Georgia, speaking of bizarre starts mm-hmm. to the year, what is this team? So they're 18-2 and two as we're recording. Right. Their two losses are to Indiana, which it turns out not a terrible loss. We thought at the time, holy cow, Georgia losing to Indiana. That's crazy. Uh Indiana then just beat LSU this past weekend. And then splitting with Virginia Tech at home. Should not happen. It shouldn't. And I don't really know. Again, I don't really know what to make of this team because we know how good Alyssa DiCarlo is. Allison Fiebre, um, Justice Mills. But. I think you hit the nail on the head in the first episode when you said they're going to have to win a lot of games 10-8. They're not going to shut down teams with that pitching staff. Even though they've got some good numbers, it's not good enough to really quiet potent offensive teams. Yeah, and it's very difficult to go through a conference slate relying totally on offense. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you got to have good pitching, and that's going to be an issue, and I think it's also an issue that Georgia hadn't played anybody. Yeah. Their schedule is not good, and it and. And that's it's a it's not a rare thing for Georgia to have a not good pre-conference schedule. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that works out moving forward. But uh, I just don't I don't think they've been tested. And the fact that they've the fact that they're not undefeated right now with the schedule they've played, uh, I don't think bodes well for them. Yeah, it's very shocking. And this weekend uh, they've got again <laughs> Bowling Green twice, Elon twice, Western Illinois twice, and then North Carolina midweek, and then they open up conference play at Missouri. North Carolina is probably the best team they've played all year. I would agree with that. I'd say them and Indiana top two. Right. Which uh, that's hmm. interesting. I mean, Georgia's going to have a really great record, but I think it's going to be. It's going to be one of it's it's like makeup, you know, you got to wipe it away and see what it really looks like. And right. I don't think it's going to be very pretty once you really dig into what the numbers are for Georgia this year. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Like I say you got and then they they get to start off uh, with. Uh, is it Missouri? Their first conference, yeah. Missouri yeah. and then LSU at home and then at Auburn. So. Right. So, you know, that LSU series is going to tell us a lot about this Georgia team. Yes, it will for sure. And also interesting in the circle, they've got four pitchers all over 24 innings pitched, and nobody has reached 30. So not relying as much on Mary Wilson Avant as I expected coming into the year as Lauren Mathis actually leads the team in appearances. 
with uh with 10 and has a 0.84 ERA. So she's been pretty good, but yeah. again, I'm not quite sure how much I'm buying into that pitching staff. Yeah, I, neither am I. Now, I will say South Carolina has looked better. Opening weekend, we were texting, we were looking at the results. They had some very questionable losses mm-hmm. to start the year. But they've won 14 in a row. And this is a team that you weren't high on in the preseason. I thought they could really be anywhere in the standings. They've got a good offense. They've got three experienced pitchers. I'm just not, again, not quite sure how that will translate into conference play. Yeah, I think a lot of this is, you know, the the pre-conference schedule is important. You got to go through it. Uh, But at the same time, I don't think you can make total judgments on teams either uh, based on it as well. So, yeah, I'm I'm still the jury is still very much out on this South Carolina team. And uh, and the fact that they have expectations was something they have not had in a long time uh, in in Columbia. How are they going to continue to uh, to respond to that? as they head into conference play. Yeah, the losses to that North Carolina team we just talked about, to Baylor, who is not good. Not, not Yeah, they've, not they've definitely good. fallen down. And then since then, best win, South Florida, maybe? Pretty good Troy team. Yeah, they, Troy they too. I yeah. throw Troy in there. They open conference play with Kentucky at home. That's, that's interesting because I, I don't know what to think about either one of those teams. Yeah, I, I, you know, Kentucky is an enigma, right? Every right. single year. We talked about it in the first episode. They've played the toughest schedule known to man. Right. And I feel like I still don't know anything about no, that team. We, we don't know. Uh, you know. And I think the reason why they played the schedule they played is because they wanted to find out what they had with their pitching staff. Yeah. Um, and may, maybe Rachel found out, but I don't know anything. I'm not sure if I know uh, what their what their final rotation is going to be or uh, offensively what they have in addition to, to Abby Cheek. And uh it's going to be, a, I think we'll be able to find out a lot when they play South Carolina there in this first weekend. Yeah, Kentucky with Autumn Humes and Grace Ballman, both with seven games started this year, both north of three ERA-wise, which but is again, surprising. But they played, you know, we're kind of joking about it, but at the same time, it's one of the toughest schedules oh, I've yeah. ever seen. So, every so, weekend, right. it was somebody in the top ten. Yeah, uh, so and I, I don't think you can take a whole lot from their ERA not being as good. Uh, but I, I'm sure a lot of it was, well, how are they going to respond to being hit? Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens. What about Tennessee? Your preseason pick. I'm still, I feel pretty good about it. I, we're going to talk about this with our two guests, Caleb Bro and Madison Shipman later on. I really don't have as many qualms with Tennessee as I do about many of the other contenders because I feel like I know what I'm getting offensively. And pitching-wise... Uh, you know, there are a few things here and there. Right. The ERAs aren't spectacular, but we know Kalen Arnold's good. We know yeah. Matty Moss is good. Mm-hmm. Ashley Rogers has been a revelation. I mean, I think that this is a team that really is poised to win this league. And and they have one of the toughest places to play in the in the conference as well. Just because if the train goes You're by, right. you can't hear anything. Because of the, the loud, squeaky noises that <laughs> come with the, that train coming through. You know, it's a really, it's a great bit of atmosphere to have a train. But my gosh, can can we oil the brakes <laughs> on, on that twain, that train that comes through there in Knoxville? But uh, yeah, I, I think I think they have uh, as much of a complete package as you have anywhere in the conference. Uh, maybe now outside of what Alabama has, uh, I think Alabama and Tennessee are very. Uh, I think they're very similar uh, makeups. I think maybe Tennessee has a little bit more proven uh, number two pitcher in the conference. But if Sarah Cornell continues to pitch like she has, I think Alabama matches up very well with Tennessee, and it may come down to those two teams, which 
they don't play each other during the regular season. No, and I'm fascinated about this opening conference series, Tennessee at Florida. Yeah, gun to my head, I might take Tennessee to win that series two one. Yeah, yeah, I I think if this game was if this series was in Knoxville, I would pick Tennessee maybe to sweep it. Wow, Uh, who would have thought? (laughs) I know, but to be in in Gainesville, I'm going to say Florida wins one. But I I I think. You know, I, I think it, I would be surprised if Tennessee doesn't win this series. So Tennessee, we're pretty sold on. And again, not surprising because you did pick them to win the league. I did. I yes. did not. I had Arkansas number two in the conference. Which I thought you were crazy. Yes. And I think I might be actually <laughs> because some of the results. Now, first off, the Washington game in Mexico, Washington got two in the bottom of the seventh. That's how they won. OK, sure. fine. Washington did that to us. Yeah, we know how it feels. But then. The losses to Southeast Missouri State 6-1 and Drake 3-1 and getting pushed by Nevada and Boston U twice this past weekend and Mary Half got the start in most of those games. Mm -hmm. And Autumn Storms has not been great. She's not been bad, but she hasn't been great. I uh, This team is very confusing to me. And I... Right now, I, there's no way I trust them to come in the top three in this league. Yeah, I, I thought once everybody now had had a book on uh, on half, I thought she might be a little bit more susceptible here in her sophomore season. Uh, doesn't have like the overpowering stuff that, say, a Montana Fouts has. I don't think Montana. I don't think the fact that people will know what Montana Fouts, Fouts is throwing is going to affect anything. Right. Just I, like it really doesn't right. with Kelly Barnhill most often. Exactly. But I think it it does with somebody like half. So. Uh, I think that has something to do with it. And then, you know, Arkansas had expectations, which is something they've never had. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that might have had something to do with it, too. Now, that being said, just because you struggle a little bit in the pre-conference, you could put it all together and, you know, it, they, you could, they could be rolling once they get into conference play. But um, I, I just think they were a little bit too much of a uh, one-trick pony is a little bit strong <laughs> of a statement to make about them. But I think that they were relying too much on, on Mary Half. And also, the defense has not been good behind the pitchers. 30 errors this year, Tom. That will not help. No. No. That will not help, and that's why Autumn Storms has struggled so much. She, right. We, she's allowed a lot of runs. Not many of those earned. Yeah, she's a you know, she she's a pitcher. When your pitcher is pitched to contact and your defense doesn't back you up, you're going to struggle. Yeah. We will shout out Danielle Gibson, transfer in to Arkansas, hitting the home run cycle. I'd never even thought about that being a possibility. That was amazing. And to do and she did it in order too, didn't yes. she? Yes. Yeah. Uh no, I think or, she ended with a solo shot, but she okay. did it in innings one, two, three, and four. Okay. Yes. That's an, an unbelievable thing. I, I I know it's never happened in major league baseball, and I think it is is only the second time it's ever happened in college softball to to hit the home run cycle. So congratulations for her. Uh she's gonna need to keep keep doing that because I don't think their pitching is gonna be that good. Yeah, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see as the season goes on because I would argue they have the toughest conference slate. I mean, they open yeah. at Ole Miss, okay. South Carolina at home, at Tennessee, Kentucky at home, at Florida, Ooh. LSU at home, at A and M, Auburn at home. Brutal, man. Ours at, here at Alabama is not great, especially back half. That is brutal. Yeah, let's say Alabama's schedule is a definitely backloaded conference schedule, uh, but that one is just tough from start to finish. Yeah. I mean, even at Ole Miss, it's just, Ole Miss is not that bad, at least yeah. compared to what we might have thought coming into the year. What about Auburn? I know. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I don't get this team. And we're going to talk about no, Auburn. I don't either. Later on in the show, Michaela Martin is good. But then again, she was also the pitcher pitching against, I believe it was Louisiana Tech, one of the two early losses in, a, in Gulf Shores to open the season. 
the offense had been doing nothing, and mm-hmm. then they go to California and run rule Oregon, who beat yeah. Florida two one, right, and yeah. probably should have beaten Washington. I yeah, I'm I'm at a loss as well. I'm I'm totally confused by what they have going on down there on for numerous reasons, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it it is a very Jekyll and Hyde team so far. They have to start off there. I want. I like to see what their conference schedule looks like. I'll pull it up right now as I tell you that they've got. I believe it's seven batters above three hundred, which it's better than I thought it would be. For I sure. would not have predicted. No, uh, especially like you said, when they they struggled out of the gates. But you know, sometimes you just struggle a little bit to start off with. So still don't really know what to think about them. I would. I wish they had just gotten to play that game against UCLA. Yeah, that would have been that would have been fun to see. That would have been really interesting. I assume Rachel Garcia might have been in the circle for the Bruins. So they've got the War Eagle Challenge this weekend. Mm-hmm. Then they open conference play the next weekend with A and M coming in and at Mississippi State. Those are two sweepable options, right? In my eyes, and then Georgia at home. Now, I again, I think sweeps are few and far between in this conference. Even even in the ones you know, you have the number one team against the number thirteen team. That thirteen team has a chance to take one, right? Uh, so I, I I would be shocked if they sweep both those series, but I but they are definitely in in a situation where they can win both of those, and then that that Georgia series will tell us a lot about both the teams. I think. Yeah, that's uh, that is. March 29th, 30th, and 31st, Georgia at Auburn. So the gap. This yeah. I think we're going to call it the gap okay. because I feel like I feel like there is for the first time in a long time a real distinct upper tier, lower tier in the SEC. I don't know where to throw Kentucky because they've just played really tough teams. At Enigma, we don't know. Yes, but Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, LSU, Auburn, top tier. Mississippi State, A&M, Ole Miss, Missouri, bottom tier. I feel like you're going to see a big record discrepancy between the top that I just mentioned and those bottom four with Kentucky, I don't know, maybe playing games yeah. in the upside down, Stranger Things <laughs> reference, I don't know. I think Kentucky's in that. I think I think Auburn is, I don't think they're solidified as a top yeah. tier. So you're saying maybe floating around in the middle, Kentucky-Auburn. Yeah, probably so. Um, and Arkansas may be in that middle too. Oh, that would not be good for my preseason right. predictions. And and I think LSU is a lot better than we were expecting. So I, I think there's still a little bit of a smushy middle in there, um, a little bit more than the, a defined gap. But, you know, we'll see after two or three weeks within within conference play, then, then I think we'll really be able to solidify. But again, because these teams have played, some of them have played really tough schedules, some have played, you know, softer schedules, it's hard to get a, a complete read on where everybody is to start off the, the yeah. conference schedule. But you did mention LSU, and I wanted to talk about them before we stop talking about the league. We thought that this w- team would see a drop because of I didn't the think loss. it was. I didn't think it was be as, as going to be as much as you did. But yeah, I, I saw a bit more. Yeah, Carly Hoover, Allie Wall, Jasper, two of the greats sure. in LSU history. I thought, yeah. especially knowing what we knew from the past couple of years, where they just couldn't hit. Mm-hmm. I really anybody in the lineup except Aaliyah Andrews. They've got three players above four hundred: Shelby Sinceri, Amanda Sanchez, Aaliyah Andrews, and a couple more above three fifty. That's yeah. wild. It is, and that has been the the big improvement for this team. And. uh and that's you got to be if you're a t- uh, you LSU fan, you're probably thinking, why couldn't we have had this when we had the three really good pitchers? Oh my gosh! No, this hitting last year, oh national championship worthy. Seriously, right. yeah. Uh, but again, it's going to like we said with Georgia, it's going to be tough to you know run through a conference schedule with just offense. Yeah. So they're going to have to continue to pitch well uh, to uh, to be a contender. But 
I think they've, I think they've set themselves up again. It might be a situation kind of like where Alabama, where they, they may have lost, you know, some, they may be a little bit younger, but they may be a little bit more talented than they've been being. Well, we'll see as conference play begins this weekend. LSU, Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, they're all right there. There's a lot that can happen in this league. And with conference play starting, all eyes on Florida, Tennessee, Missouri coming here, it should be a great opener for the Southeastern Conference here as college softball season is really in full swing now. Woo! So excited. And then we go to Hawaii. Yeah. So um, many games. So, oh my God. Good we're, Lord. We're going to talk about that <laughs> when we head home because there will be a time later on this year when I'm just going to just take me home. That's yeah. what I'm going to be saying. But uh, for now, we've got the sign. We've got the green light. We don't have our green light girls shirts. Maybe that's fine. <laughs> we can uh, that go along with our good as a double uh, Alyssa Brown shirt. Yeah, we're building an entire wardrobe of things we say <laughs> on broadcasts. But we've got the sign. We've got the green light. It's time to steal second, and we're going to do it with a former Alabama great. She is on the SEC Network. She's fantastic. She's Kayla Bro, and she's, she's coming up. And she's on the wall. Yeah, she's on the wall. She's on the wall, <laughs> and she will be on Out of the Box on the other side. Episode two of the podcast. We'll be right back. got the green light and we are stealing second here on the out of the box podcast and there is a reason we have picked this first guest for the stealing second segment she is a former alabama softball player three-time all-american four-time all sec outfielder so i think she was pretty good second all-time in alabama history and batting average hits and stolen bases and first in alabama history and postseason batting average at 434 which I think anyone would take at any time. She was fantastic for the Crimson Tide, and she will be fantastic on the show tonight. She is Kayla Bro here on Out of the Box. Kayla, how are you? I am doing great. Excited to be on today. Well, we're glad to have you to talk about Alabama, the SEC, everything around the country. And before we get to that, I did want to ask about your journey after softball because I just mentioned your career, three-time All-American, four-time All-SEC. A couple years go by, and now we're seeing you on the SEC Network. So what was that journey like moving from playing for Alabama to now being on TV, talking about softball every week? Uh, it was crazy. It was a whirlwind. You know, I, right out of college, I got you know thrown into the fire and got an opportunity to work for ESPN and took it and uh, haven't looked back since. But I mean, getting to talk about softball, getting to talk about the sport I love has been such a gift and it's been the closest thing after you finish competing to that same feeling where you prepare, you put your heart and soul into something, and then you got to perform for however long you're on TV. So it's kind of a, a great career um, for somebody like me that was an athlete before. So I'm just stoked to be a part of the softball community still and get to talk about the sport that I love. I mean, it's, can, it doesn't get any better than that. And the most fun that you've had, it had to be the broadcast of the Women's College World Series, right? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, getting back there and getting to Oklahoma City, and, I mean, we were on, we were down the right field line, perched up. We got to do the in-between game studio shows. And, I mean, that was like the best view in the house. We got to see the action. We got to interview the players in between games. I mean, it was so much fun. And it just shows how much softball has grown because that's the first time that they've had a studio presence at the World Series. So, they, ESPN and other companies all across the country are really buying into our sport, which is amazing. 
Well, Tom and I are hoping that we can go to Oklahoma City this year, but for that to happen, there is a team that has to be there, and that is your former team, the Alabama Crimson Tide. 20-0 and as we're recording tonight, undefeated, raising expectations as they were predicted eighth in the SEC preseason poll. Where can this team go? Because we've talked a lot about Montana Fouts, Kaylee Tao, Bailey Hemphill. The names are there. The stats are there. But is this year's team a team that really can challenge for a national championship? Well, I think that this team shows so much improvement, even from last season alone. I think adding some freshmen like Montana South, like you said, adding the transfers, adding you know somebody like Skylar Wallace that plays a really quality second base, just adds to the competitiveness of the team, but also the mentality. I mean, I've heard so many things from the coaching staff about the freshman class and how competitive they are and how fired up that they make the team. I mean, they're gamers, and I think that's the biggest difference is you watch them play thus far in the season, and they look a little bit different. They're a little bit higher energy. They ride the momentum a little bit better than they did in previous years, and a big piece of that is Montana Fouts, who Coach Murphy says is the hardest worker on the team, and that's a big deal when your pitcher freshman is your hardest worker. Talking with Kayla Bro, former Alabama great now on the SEC Network and ESPN, talking softball, and uh, one thing we, we kind of looked at what happened last weekend with Alabama specifically and then overall nationally was Alabama played the Crimson Classic against a field that wasn't wasn't the strongest overall on paper it should have been uh some blowout victories but uh they were close games and we saw it nationally where a lot of teams that were highly ranked were struggling with some of the uh, some mid-majors or or losing even losing some games to those um is there a like a pre-conference like a mental or physical wall that that maybe you hit after you practice for for a month and then you played for a month before you get into conference play it seemed like a lot of teams were doing that yeah i think there's a couple of things i think of course in the preseason you're playing so many more games you're playing you know five or six games a weekend you're having to throw maybe not your aces in the circle so i think that is a factor but also, I think softball is just getting better. I think the mid-major schools are getting more talent. I think with the early recruiting that was happening in softball, you're seeing some of the later bloomers of the softball world went to those mid-majors, and now here they are. They're old enough. They look just as good as some of the D1 um, Power 5 conference players, and I think that shows. And I think beyond that, like you said, I mean, the preseason gets long, and it's hard to stay motiv- motivated sometimes. And I mean, that's no excuse for some of these teams, but to get over that hump of the preseason is huge because everybody is, now that you're getting close to conference play, your sights are starting to set on your conference opponents. And one of the teams near the top of the rankings, Caleb Bro, that uh, lost a couple times this past weekend, albeit to their number two UCLA, was the Florida Gators. And we just talked a second ago in the second segment of the show about my concerns about Florida. I picked them to win the SEC in the preseason. I'm still semi-sticking by that pick. But I'm a little concerned about the amount of usage that Tim Walton has gotten from Kelly Barnhill. She's had to come in in relief a lot. We've seen her start against Illinois State 20 times, it seems, because they're suddenly rivals and playing every weekend. And I'm not quite sure who that number two is behind Barnhill. Natalie Lugo has pitched well. She's had a couple double-digit strikeout games, but... I'm not sure that she's the kind of pitcher that can come in and shut down a Tennessee or Alabama or LSU or some of these really potent offensive teams. Do you think that concern is uh, valid? Absolutely. I actually had the same concern. I know I watched the play games this weekend, especially the UCLA games. And I think what happens is you have a pitcher like Kelly Barnhill that's you know known now. She was a national player of the year. She's on everybody's scouting reports. I mean, 
coaches and players have talked amongst each other on how to hit her. So I think she's not going to be as difficult to hit this year as maybe previous seasons. So if you take maybe some of her strikeouts away, some of that scariness of facing Kelly Barnhill away, they're going to struggle a little bit more in the circle. And I think beyond that, um, I mean, Natalie Lugo, like you said, is good. I don't know how good she is well enough to be, you know, a top 10, top 15 program. And she's going to have to face those kind of teams all throughout the SEC. And then beyond the the defensive and pitching side, I think offensively is really where my biggest concerns are. I think this is the uh, least powerful Florida offense that we've seen in a while. And I think the biggest key is going to be, Kendall Lindemann, the transfer from Minnesota, who was one of the top home running home run hitting hitters in the country last season. I think that if she can't hit the SEC, I think that teams are going to walk Amanda Lorenz. I think that they're not going to have the power numbers that they're going to have in the previous seasons, and they're going to struggle more offensively, not going to be able to support maybe a more youthful pitching staff behind Kelly Barnhill. You bring up a great point because I was listening to some of the Florida games on Thursday and the one that was really shocking was the one nothing win over New Mexico in extra innings. One part that was surprising was Natalie Lugo pitching well and then Tim Walton putting in Kelly Barnhill, which to me said he was a little bit worried about Lugo finishing that game and maybe also didn't trust the offense who hadn't scored a run against the Lobos in seven innings. And I think you're right. I think that that's maybe the biggest question mark overall because Florida isn't, while their record is gaudy, they're not playing quite yet like the Florida that I think everybody was expecting in the preseason. No, not yet, but make no mistake. I mean, you have to give credit to Tim Walton. He's one of the best coaches in the country, and they have such a business-like approach. So I think if they can fix and adjust a couple things, then they're going to be okay. However, I do think that they have one of the hardest schedules in the SEC. And actually... I uh, think somebody's going to give them a run for their money uh, to get the SEC championship, the regular season championship. All right. Are you going to hold that tight to the vest or are you going to let us know? Who, who do you think? <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think Tennessee has a good opportunity. Uh, Georgia doesn't play Florida this year. So depending on how their pitching looks in the circle this year, they're going to have a chance. And then I think Alabama is the dark horse. And uh, I think it's all in Montana Fouts. We've talked about her a ton, but I mean, you're going to ride and die on your ace and, she looks pretty good to start the year. Well, I, I just to let you know in episode one, I picked Tennessee as well. So I, I, <laughs> we're, we're out on that limb, limb together with you, but uh, I agree with the, uh, Al- <laughs> <laughs> but with, uh, with Alabama, it, it, that's kind of an odd spot for Alabama to be in sec wise to be a dark horse type uh, candidate. But I, I think I, I agree. I think they're in that spot where they're a little bit under the radar, even at, at, 20 and 0 right now i think they're still going to be under the radar here for a little while all the all the focus is going to be on that florida tennessee series here on week one and uh alabama just got to continue to take care of their business yeah without a doubt i think alabama has a lot of potential i think they could make a run uh, but they're a young team in the circle especially and i mean the way they're starting you can't ask for a better start from patrick murphy taking a look at some other uh, national uh stories that are out there in in the world of college softball one of them has kind of been seeing some non-usual uh softball power conferences kind of rise up you're seeing the big 10 having a lot of real early success and also the acc a lot of big wins uh for those teams that are not named florida state uh, in the preseason and uh just uh the the overall state of college softball seems to be improving as some other uh, non-SEC, non-Pac-12 conferences are, are rising up and contending. Oh, absolutely. It's been really fun to watch early this season. I mean, you know, 
speaking of the the tournament last weekend in California, uh, the Judy Garland Classic at Fullerton. I mean, Michigan goes out and upsets Washington and UCLA out of the Big Ten, and then Indiana travels to LSU this weekend and upsets them. So I think what we're seeing is just nobody's safe, and you know you circle certain teams on your schedule as a little bit more challenging, but the ones that you don't circle are getting far more talented. The wealth is spreading across the country. Uh, universities are investing more in softball, so I think that all turns into you're facing better competition. And I, I also think this is huge. You're getting much better coaches throughout these conferences and throughout these teams. So just all over the place. No one is safe, and I think that, that makes it fun. We've been looking for that in college softball for so many years. It used to be pretty dominated by the top maybe seven or eight teams, and now the field's a little bit more open. Sticking with the Big Ten, Kayla, Michigan, as you mentioned, is a weird team. They were 6-8 and eight after last weekend. We talked during the broadcast briefly about how weird it was to see Michigan struggling so mightily and then they go out to california and beat ucla and beat washington and look really good doing it so i don't know what to make of that team this year yeah i think megan bobey and their starting pitcher has been up and down all season again she goes in and beats michigan or excuse me, washington and ucla this weekend and she's lost three games before that so i think it's really interesting and that might be a health thing i don't really know it might be a just getting into your rhythm or some people just pitch better against better competition uh but i think they're a team that you know they've won the big 10 for how many years in a row but i think this may be the year that they don't win it so i think they're an interesting team they could you know be a bubble burster but i think that this might be the first year in a while that coach hutch isn't going to win the big 10 so if that happens Indiana or Minnesota or somebody else? <laughs> you know, I saw Minnesota live, and I think they have a, a starting pitcher in Amber Pfizer that throws uh, 70 miles an hour pretty consistently. She's pretty tough. I think if she is in the circle, they have a chance to win. Um, I think Indiana has a little bit better offense than Minnesota, so I think that's where their advantage is. But I think it's just going to be a better race. Once again, I, I it used to be just Michigan and everybody else, but I think they're going to have some challenges this year, which is exciting for college softball. Yeah, we saw Pfizer uh, in the Bama Bash a couple weeks ago, and and I'd be surprised if there's a, a pitcher in the Big Ten that that's better than her overall. And you know that and that that was kind of my my point is that you're seeing now a lot of uh, conferences. You know, the I think Florida State winning the national championship has really helped the entire ACC kind of a a, a rising tide lifting all boats there. And uh, you're seeing a, a lot of uh, de- athletic departments making the, the commitment to better facilities and. Uh, they're able to to lure some more people uh, from from maybe out west, or and then the improvement just overall in the uh, in the high school ranks of of everybody nationally. You said better coaching and everything going on. Oh, without a doubt, I think it's just fun to be a part of, and I, I think that you're seeing that you know softball is becoming a successful sport in terms of monetary. Uh, they're making money and uh, i think that shows and you're getting tons of fans from the followers and i mean it's fun to be a softball player right now i mean you get tv coverage you get big time facilities everybody's making huge huge strides in facility improvement so it's just a good time to be a college softball player and a college softball fan Kayla Bro here on Out of the Box. We're stealing second with Kayla Bro here on episode two of the podcast all right Kayla, bringing it back to the sec there have been some 
semi-question mark eyebrow raising results around the conference. We saw South Carolina struggle a bit opening weekend, although they seem to have righted the ship. Georgia losing to Indiana, although uh, that apparently is a good loss now. And Virginia Tech, uh, Arkansas dropped some puzzlers. So is there a team that has surprised you in a good or bad way so far early on in the season in the Southeastern Conference? You know, uh, South Carolina just definitely did surprise me. I thought they had a good returning core of pitchers. They had one of the best offenses in the SEC, and that might have been just trying to kind of get back in the swing of things and deal with preseason expectations, which they've never really had before. So I think that's a big shift for them. They were surprising. Um, I think Arkansas is about where I expected them to be. I think that Mary Half in the circle for them is phenomenal, and she's going to carry them. But if she doesn't pitch well, I think that they've, they, I mean, they're going to ride and die on her. So, uh, I mean, to be honest, nothing has surprised me just quite yet, other than maybe South Carolina dropping a few too many early uh, games that they honestly should have won. I'll pose one more question about a team that Tom does not like. I, I don't like them much either. And it's Auburn, <laughs> 16 and 4. Early on in the year, some weird losses. We, we were listening, actually, to the Auburn-Louisiana Tech game when we were in Troy opening weekend. And then, in California, run-ruling Oregon after I think they were being no-hit through three innings. And then probably also should have beaten Washington. That was tied up at sixth and the eighth. And they left the bases loaded with nobody out. So, where is Auburn in the SEC? Is that a team that maybe could be a contender? Or did we just see a really good weekend this past weekend in California? You know, to be honest, I think that that one's up for debate. And the reason why is they're really young. I mean, they lost one of their best pitchers in Kaylee Carlson last year. They lost a few more seniors that were really big role players on the team. And they're pretty young. And this is the second year for Mickey Dean. And I think it's just one of those things where they're going to keep developing. And this might be a developmental year for them where they're going to, you know, be a little bit more of a roller coaster just because they don't really have that really strong experience quite yet with their coach and with their their lineup so i think they're just getting a team that's going to keep getting better they have the two snow sisters that hit for them are incredible in the offense and i think that they have the opportunity to upset some teams i don't know if they're going to have the consistency to make a run for for a title this year and one of those teams that Auburn was able to beat was Oregon. And, and, you know, you live out there from out there. And I wanted to get your thoughts real quick on on what's going on with, with Oregon. They, they were a team that had one of the most uh, just crazy off-seasons I've ever seen. They were uh, down to almost nine scholarship players at one point before some of the other transfers. And uh, I know Gray and I had pretty much, you know, given up on them. But then they come out and have a, a really good start to the season. And they're still ranked. And, it looked like they might still be able to contend out there in the Pac-12. Yeah, Oregon faced the perfect storm of events that led to a really, really tough fall and winter for them. I mean, with the transfer portal opening up for softball, with the coaching being uh, Mike White going to Texas, I think you had this really weird thing where the players liked their head coach. He didn't he didn't quit or move because he didn't like the situation he was in, or excuse me, they didn't like the situation the players were in. He just got a better opportunity. And I think the players felt a little bit abandoned. And then you throw in some girls leaving to follow coach white. And then you follow just some expectations that, you know, we were going to be probably the number one team coming back this year. And then all of a sudden now we can barely feel the team. I mean, that's so tough on those players. And the fact that they have done as well as they have is incredible to say the least but i think another huge piece of that 
is that you have this really talented group of young players on their team, some freshmen that were part of the, one of the top recruiting classes in the country, have gotten to flourish and gotten an opportunity to step up and play, which they wouldn't have gotten otherwise because that team was loaded. They wouldn't have seen the field for a couple of years at least. So I think, you know, sometimes when you're given an opportunity, some people rise to the occasion, and that's exactly what happened with Oregon. However, they got a long way to go because you can tell right now that their pitching staff is going to run out of steam. Jordan Dale is really good and talented, but she's all they got. And they're going to win some games with her, and then she's going to have to throw a lot more innings than probably she can. And I think you're going to see some really lopsided scores when she's not pitching. We are stealing second here with Kayla Bro on the second episode of Out of the Box. Kayla, we do have a question from Twitter for you. So, oh yes, we we uh, we want to know, or Derek Dupuis rather wants to know, who is the toughest pitcher you ever faced in your time at Alabama? Oh, without a doubt, Kaylani Ricketts from Oklahoma. <laughs> like no question, <laughs> she was lefty. She's nasty. I mean, she threw hard, but she threw everything. Kind of moved down in a way, and for a lefty, it was just kind of fooled you and mixed you up. And I think I struck out against her like six times in the World Series, the three game series. Well, but I alone, think it ended so. a bit better for you than it did for her. <laughs> yes, I exactly. I'll take that. I'll strike out as many times possible to get a national championship whatever it takes <laughs> <laughs> Kayla bro here with us on out of the box all right Kayla one more question are you going to come down to Tuscaloosa this year to see the new wall because you are on there it looks fantastic out in the outfield Oh, man, I hope so. I am so stoked. The wall looks amazing. It is such an honor to be on the wall. I, I was texting Coach Murphy a couple of days ago because I saw that the new wall was going up, and I didn't know I was on it yet. I was like, oh, the new wall looks great. I'll miss my, my face because it used to be on it. You know, <laughs> kind of joking around with him, and then he texted me like a day later. It was like, ah, we put you back up there. <laughs> so uh, it was really awesome to be up there, but I won't know if I go to Tuscaloosa yet. I haven't got my full spring schedule, but um, hopefully I'll make it out to call a game. And if not, maybe I'll just come for a midweek or something, but I got to check it out. Well, we hope to be able to uh, hit you with another home run during the SEC uh, tournament like happened a couple of years ago. Yes, that would be amazing. Next year, the SEC tournament in Tuscaloosa, I'll be there. Yeah, that that's actually a part of our open. So uh, that's a call that we love to listen back to, that Bailey Hemphill home run in the SEC tournament. <laughs> yes. Kayla Bro, That's awesome. Kayla Bro here with us on Out of the Box Episode 2. We're stealing second with her. Kayla, thank you so much for hopping on. It was fun to catch up and talk all things college softball, Alabama, SEC, and whatnot. Yeah, thank you, guys. Really enjoyed being on. Absolutely. So we have stolen second, and now we are rounding third here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Madison Shipman, SEC Network as well, and a former Tennessee Vol. She will be on the podcast right after this. Rounding third now here on the second episode of the Out of the Box podcast, and we're talking to another SEC Network employee and another SEC softball great. She played at Tennessee, was an All-American shortstop, fourth in Tennessee history in home runs, and fifth in RBI. She is Madison Shipman here on Out of the Box. Madison, how are you? I am doing fantastic. How are you? Fantastic. We're uh, happy to talk with you here on the podcast. And we wanted to start out talking about your life kind of after softball, after Tennessee. You were so good with the volunteers and now you're with the SEC network. How did you get from point A to point B? You know, it was actually, it was kind of interesting because right after I stopped playing at UT, I went on to play in the 
NPS, the National Pro Fast Pitch League. So while I was playing that during the summers, I was also the volunteer coach at the University of Tennessee. And during that time, I had been in contact with Meg Aronowitz for SEC Network. And she had always been talking to me that she, she really liked the fact that I both had a, a playing perspective and a coaching perspective. So she said whenever I was done with that whole coaching thing to go ahead and give her a call and Coach Karen Weekly, while I was there, was not willing to, to give me up at that time. Um, but, you know, once I decided that I no longer wanted to be coaching, went ahead and contacted Meg, and here I am, year two, doing SEC Network, and I cannot be happier. Well, you're doing a great job, and we love to watch you on TV, and I'm sure that you love calling Tennessee games or seeing Tennessee because of the connection that you have with one of the players, your sister, Allie Shipman, who's batting north of 300 this year. She's tied for third on the team and runs driven in. What does that feel like for you to see your little sister as a freshman making an impact for Tennessee this season? Well, it just it makes me so excited for her. And, you know, I've got to say the first time I was up in the booth and she came up to bat, I actually felt myself get a little bit nervous. So that's something that I'm having to work on as well when I'm up there commentating games. But I'm just so happy for her. It feels like it was the longest recruiting process ever. She committed back when she was an eighth grader. And I always joke that, you know, back in eighth grade when she committed, she wanted to paint the whole inside of the house orange in California. And my mom said that's where she draws the line. She's not going to paint the house orange. But um, Allie has bled orange uh, ever since day one when she committed. And she is just having a phenomenal time out there on the field with the girls and going through the whole traveling process. And they've got a big weekend ahead of them going down to, to face Florida in Gainesville. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, but I want to ask you real quickly about uh, your time about going to the SEC and on ESPN and uh, just your, your thoughts about the kind of the explosion of, of softball on television and how it's really kind of created a spot as soon as basically as soon as basketball's done. I'd like to see it get a little bit more before basketball's done, but you once basketball is done, uh, softball pretty much takes over the airwaves. Yeah, it's been absolutely crazy, just like you said, the explosion. Even earlier in the year down at that St. Pete Clearwater tournament, it was just an unbelievable atmosphere. It really did feel like the postseason, and I kept having to remind myself that it was February, and you have these huge matchups between these great teams, and all of them were televised. So it's just a huge tribute to, to the fact that, ESPN has been able to get the resources out to these other places into these schools to be able to televise these games so early in the season. And on top of that, I think it's making the game itself better too, because all these teams have access to all this film before their conference play even starts. So that's when you're, that's why you're seeing all these teams do so well in February and March before they really get into the heart of season. That's actually a really interesting point because we'll skip over Florida, Tennessee and come back to that. I did want to talk to you about all of the seemingly bizarre results that we've seen this year. I mean, uh, Toledo almost beat Florida State the other night. We've seen upsets all over the country. Uh, we saw Michigan beat UCLA, although Michigan certainly a traditional power. Is it because of what you just mentioned that these teams have more access to film, have more, I guess, video to watch and study to try and pick up on pitching tendencies and what hitters do and whatnot this early in the year? I would definitely say that it gives those teams an advantage. And, you know, when you are a team like Florida State playing Toledo, Toledo's going to have a lot more film on a team like Florida State just because they've been televised so much, because they've done so well and they're the reigning nas- national champion. So 
all these college coaches know that, and they're going to take advantage of every bit and piece of film that they can possibly get. So it has completely changed the game, even from when I played, because we had some film, but not to the extent of this. And I can sit at home and have my computer, my laptop, my iPad, my phone, my TV, all up watching completely different games all at the same time. So all these coaches have this access to it, and it allows you to dive deeper into what some players' weaknesses might be and try to exploit them when you actually do go to get to play them. Is there also any element of a uh, kind of a physical or mental wall that, that sometimes teams can hit? You know, if one month into the season you've been practicing for an additional month uh, before that as well, and you may be looking ahead a little bit towards your, your conference schedule getting started? Yes, I definitely think that this part of the season is super difficult for some of these players, especially the freshmen, because when you watch them play on the field, sometimes we forget that they're also students. So they're having to juggle this travel as well as all the schoolwork that they're having to take along with them. And when they get back to campus, school does not slow down at all. So they're constantly playing catch-up or trying to get ahead for the schoolwork. And this part of the season is where you're really trying to figure out what routine works best for you. And then once conference play starts, everything starts to get more on a, on a schedule and you kind of know the three-game series going into the weekend and maybe a midweek or two here and there. But these preseason tournaments, I mean, you're on the road, you're flying out on – some teams are flying out on a Tuesday and not coming back until that Sunday. So it's really just working on how you can persevere through these games when you're jet-lagged, when you're tired, when you've got schoolwork to do on the road. You learn a lot about who you are as a player and who you are as a team in these preseason tournaments. And I think that's why you see a lot of these top coaches really stacking their their schedule against top teams so that they can get through those – kind of, you know, ups and downs early in the season. That way they're prepared for later in the season and into the postseason. I think you hit the nail on the head, and we're going to learn all about all this travel nonsense because over the next couple weeks, as the radio team for Alabama, we're going to be with the team on the week-long trip to Hawaii and then a very quick turnaround to College Station. And that is a tough little rotation to make to be on an island to have to fly all that way back and forth and then immediately have to go to an A&M team that has been pesky over the years they might not be as good this season but that's still a tough place to play oh absolutely and they've got that brand new stadium and and on top of that the girls are having to deal with all those time changes too yes so that's something else that you got to take into to account and I know last year one of the big talks for Tennessee was the fact that they went on their Hawaii trip and came back and ended up getting swept by South Carolina. So for them, it was a learning experience on how to deal with that travel fatigue and that that time change and then go right back into SEC play. And I definitely think that it can make you tougher as a team, but it's one of those things where you really have to realize that you've got to do some things to overcome some of those, you know, like I said, that fatigue and that tire that you're going to feel when you're on the field. We're rounding third with the SEC Network's Madison Shipman, former shortstop at Tennessee. And you talked a lot about Tennessee-Florida this weekend to open up conference play. It's obviously the marquee matchup in the league to open uh, this weekend and get everything going in conference play. Tennessee is an interesting team because I don't think they have as many question marks as Florida does, even though you could argue Florida is a better team. I have some concerns about pitching depth behind Kelly Barnhill. I have no concerns with Tennessee's pitching depth, and we know their offense is good enough to maybe win this league this season. Oh, I absolutely agree, and I'm with you when I was watching Barnhill against UCLA. What I saw 
from the UCLA offense was that they really went out there and just attacked her. And I've got to imagine that their game from the World Series last year gave them that confidence going in against Kelly Barnhill. And now Barnhill is still a phenomenal pitcher, but it did look like she was a bit rattled against that UCLA lineup. So if I'm Tennessee, I'm going into this weekend taking advantage of that film that you got from that UCLA-Florida matchup out in California and just attacking Barnhill on the mound. And, you know, you say, you know, there's no question marks when it comes to Tennessee's pitching staff, but one of their downfalls so far this year is the home runs given up. They've given up 16 home runs so far this year. And in order to, to beat a team like Florida, you've got to keep the ball in the park. So that's going to be a big challenge for that Tennessee pitching staff this weekend couple other teams in the conference I wanted to ask you about. One of them has kind of been an enigma this year after coming out of uh, nowhere last year to be one of the best teams in the league, and that was Georgia. Uh, this year, that they've they've won a lot of games, but they've, they've dropped a couple that were, were very surprising. Yeah, I, 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 was, I was kind of surprised, you know, losing to, to Virginia Tech and to, to Indiana as well. They still have a ton of hitters in their lineup. They've got Alyssa DiCarlo, Justice Mills, the thing that, that I find uh, that's going to be the biggest question mark for me with Georgia is the fact that they really haven't played a tough schedule. They haven't really played against any ranked team so far this year, and they're not going to until March 22nd. So I find that very interesting that they're not going to be playing that tough, tough competition, and they still have lost a couple of games as well. So, you know, typically, like we were just talking about, coaches like to stack the beginning of the season with those tough matchup to get your team used to that postseason feel early in the season but Georgia's not going to be able to feel that until middle of March so it'll be interesting to see how their team responds to all of a sudden facing top competition weekend and week out in SEC conference play. So earlier in the show, we talked about the SEC, talked about how Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, uh, they're all in the upper tier. And I think more than ever before, uh, or at least the last couple years, we see a pretty clear gap in the league. You've got the top eight. You've got Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, LSU, Auburn, maybe throw Kentucky in there. And then there's a big gap, I think, not necessarily talent-wise, but just something missing with the bottom four, Mississippi State, A&M, Ole Miss, and Missouri. Do you kind of see the same thing that I see? I would agree with you. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that I think might help to, to change that, to try to even out the, uh, the playing field, is that, that new grad transfer rule. And you see like a team like Mississippi State, they might not be grad transfers, but they got a lot of transfers from ASU that are really helping elevate their lineup this year. So they're, you know, they're 14 and five. So they're, they're doing okay. I would say that they probably would hope to do a little bit better up until this point. But they've been able to put up some really stellar numbers with Mia Davidson and Paul Leilua as well. Um, you know, they've got Alyssa Loza as another transfer from Arizona State. So I think that's where you're going to see some of these teams try to, to even the field a little bit by getting those transfers to come in and, and be impact players from year one. Talking with Madison Chipman from the SEC Network, former uh, Tennessee great uh, here on Out of the Box. And we're, uh, we're the... Alabama radio guys were doing this podcast in Tuscaloosa. So I got to ask you about what you think about the Crimson Tide so far. Uh, I would say that uh, being 20 and O is off to a pretty good start. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, yeah. Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I would say, okay, you know, I, I'm totally kidding, but I, I was so impressed with Montana Fouts and, and, and not just in her pitching abilities, but the fact that she's able to keep the walk so low, 
Um, if I remember correctly, last year Alabama finished last in the SEC in yes. errors. Yes, overall and in conference play. Yes, yeah, so you remember very yeah. much correctly. Yes, <laughs> we we had to write down the same number all season long, thirteenth. Uh, yes, yes. So typically, not a stat you want to lead the SEC in, um, but they've really changed it around this year, and that's what I've been so impressed with them as well. Is their their pitching numbers have improved. Their fielding numbers have improved, and when you have both of those working on both cylinders, you're going to do you're going to do pretty well. And when you got players like Alyssa Brown making catches over the outfield wall like she did, it, it doesn't get much better than that. No, it doesn't, and uh, it brings up the interesting point of how many of these SEC teams are legitimate contenders for the Women's College World Series. I think we all agree Florida can do that, Tennessee can do that, and. Then, you know, Georgia maybe as well. But how many teams in this league do you see as squads that really can make a run to Oklahoma City? Ooh, that one's a tough one. As far as really, really making a run right now, I'm going to have to go with three with Florida, Alabama, and Tennessee. The other teams, I think that there's some holes in their lineup, whether it be, you know, here on, you know, pitching or hitting or fielding. Um, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee seem to be the most rounded out teams up until this point, but you never know. I mean, these teams really start to, to, to develop throughout the, the year as it goes on and take a team like South Carolina. I mean, last year preseason picked to finish 12th and they end up finishing third in the SEC. So you never know what's going to happen, but I would say on this date, Florida, Alabama, and Tennessee are the ones that I really think could make a run for the world series. What about uh, nationally? Has there been any teams that have really jumped out at you to, to think that, that they're uh, they're really on the road to OKC? Uh, well, I'm going to definitely go with Florida State, uh, the only other undefeated team besides Alabama up until this point. Uh, they really impressed me when I was down at that Clearwater tournament. Just their ability to, to pitch and hit and field, uh, I think they really have the whole package together. And that's really hard after coming back from – you know, they're national champions last year, and they lost players like Jesse Warren to make up for those power numbers. But you've got Megan King on the mound, who who is always going to keep them in games, plus their ability to hit the long ball on top of that. Uh, the game that really stands out to me is their, their win against Oklahoma. So for them to, to win and win in the fashion that they did, I think really set the standard for the rest of the year that, that they're not messing around, that they're really going to go for those back-to-back national championships. You mentioned the win against Oklahoma, and in the first episode of this podcast, way back a month ago, we made these landminer goldmine predictions, and I said that I thought Oklahoma was a lock to make the championship series. I thought offensively they had all the pieces. I thought adding G. Juarez certainly helped the pitching staff, but it feels like something's a little off with Oklahoma. You haven't really heard about them very much nationally. They've had you know some good wins, but a couple losses to the upper-tier teams. Where is Oklahoma right now in the national race? Obviously not out of it, but uh, do, are they as good as a Florida State or one of those teams up at the top? The, where I say that they need to improve upon, I think they're right behind a, a Florida State, maybe you know, a, maybe not right behind, but a little bit lower than them. When they do lose, they, they lose by quite a bit. They're giving up a lot of runs. So they lost to, to Florida State 7-4, to four, and they lost to UCLA 7-1. to one. You're not going to win many games when you're giving up seven runs. So I think that's mm-hmm. where you're seeing those, if you want to call them question marks with Oklahoma, is that those gaps when they're losing games are by so much. Um, so if they need to improve at all, it's definitely going to be in that area. Now they have a phenomenal pitching staff. They've got five pitchers at their disposal. And like you said, G. Warriors is 
one of the, the main ones on their lineup. Again, another transfer from Arizona State, but Mariah Lopez, they've got a good mix of pitchers, but they've got to be able to, to keep that run production down. They've been able to score runs in all of the, or in both of those games that they lost, but if you're giving up seven runs, it's going to be really, really difficult to win those ball games against top teams. We are rounding third here on the second episode of Out of the Box with former Tennessee volunteer Madison Shipman, and we do have a Twitter question for you. So uh, Derek Dupuy wants to know, and we already asked Caleb Bro this. I'm curious. I don't know if you faced her, but I'm curious if it's the same answer. Who's the toughest pitcher you ever faced? Oh, does that does it have to be in college or can it be professional as well? Anybody. Anybody. Uh, the toughest pitcher that I have ever had to hit against is, uh, I would say, in college, the toughest pitcher I had to hit against was Chelsea Thomas from Missouri. And in the professional league, the toughest pitcher I had to hit against was Monica Abbott. (laughs) That would make sense. (laughs) She's pretty good. I'm curious. What what did Kayla say? I got to know what Kayla said. She said Kaylani Ricketts. Kaylani Ricketts. Okay. I, uh, Kaylani did get the best of me in majority of my at-bats that I did face against her, but I did get her once. I got one home run off of her, so I'm going to take that one and run with it. Yeah, Kayla commented how she struck out six times against her in the National Championship Series, and our response was, well, I think that weekend ended a bit better for you than it did for her. Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, Chelsea Thomas, she ended. we went up to Missouri, played them, she no-hit us, and I struck out twice and hit a line drive to right field for the third out of my at-bats of that game, and I came running back into the dugout feeling like a million bucks because I was just able to get the ball <laughs> into the outfield. So I'll take that out as a, as a win in my book. Madison Shipman here with us on Out of the Box. Madison, thank you so much for rounding third with us here on the show. It was great to catch up and talk Tennessee and the SEC and everything going on in college softball. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So we have rounded third, and now we are heading home on second thought coming up. We're going to go back on a few of our preseason predictions. That coming up after the break here on Out of the Box. studio with us out of the box episode two gray robertson tom canterbury it's been a great show so far a great episode back after a month on hiatus we've had a lot to talk about that's yes for sure. oh for sure well when yeah. you don't do anything for a month <laughs> oh we've been doing stuff just in different areas yes <laughs> yes i've done a lot of talking i don't know if anyone's <laughs> noticed <laughs> if you listen to the praise you know yes. what we're talking about nothing better than those double headers yeah. oh my gosh <laughs> nothing yeah arts and craft projects in the booth that's what i love uh, it's been a great show we broke down alabama at the plate as you followed us around the bases we advanced the first and talked about the sec florida where alabama stands tennessee all those teams we stole second with caleb Rowe, former alabama softball player sec network espn we rounded third with madison shipman former tennessee softball all-american and now it's time for us to head home which i teased a bit early on in the show we're not going to be home very much no. over the next couple weeks Mm-mm. because as of sunday and in a way thank goodness that game was canceled as of sunday three weeks 14 games a trip to hawaii conference play this weekend for Alabama against Missouri, and then an immediate turnaround to College Station. I hope you've got your frequent flyer miles set. (laughs) 
man, yeah, kiss, kiss my wife and children goodbye and just, <laughs> just head on out. Yeah, it's going to be a, uh, it's a grueling gauntlet of travel, which is a lot of the, you know, I thought that was a great point that both Kayla and Madison Shipman made on, you know, we were talking about why some of these games have been a little bit closer than people were expecting. And that was brought up, and, you know, you got, especially early on, you're playing these tournaments where it's, you know, five, six games in a weekend, and it's usually uh, you're traveling to somewhere uh, to get there, traveling back. You got to do school, and now Alabama is doing the gauntlet of travel. You got Missouri, then you got the travel to Hawaii. You're playing the games in Hawaii. Not not the greatest field, you know, overall, but again, we didn't think that last weekend. That's right. And, and you know, Alabama had to uh, really – fight to win all, all of those games. So you have that, then the ter- quick turnaround to go to College Station. It's, it's going to be a, a big test for this Alabama team. How are they going to handle the travel and, and just, just the grueling nature of this part of the schedule? And I do think it helps that these opponents are not the strongest in the SEC. If, say, Tennessee was coming in this weekend, that's tough. You right. play Tennessee, and then you get up at, I think we're up at 4 a.m. Monday. Yeah. To- Get the bus to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. A&M, if that were a road trip to, say, Georgia, that's really tough. A&M, okay. I mean, right. they're fine. But it's still just going to be a haul, and I think I'm going to be living out of a suitcase the yeah. entire time. Yeah, yeah but um, some of that is, you know, that's that's what you sign up for. That, that's right. Know, that's what... Uh, that's what these ladies are, are, you know, it's no one should feel sorry for us. I'm not worried. And we're not, we're not <laughs> no, talking no. about it at all. Yeah. But, no pity at all. Yeah, nothing, nothing that we do is anywhere compared to the, what the, the hard work that is put in by the, by the players, but that, that is going to be how, how that is going to be the big question on, of this couple of weeks is how is Alabama going to deal with the gauntlet of the, of the grueling uh, travel schedule. So I'll ask this before we get into on second thought, the segment where we, Basically say just kidding to ourselves and some of the things <laughs> we said in the preseason. All of these games. Yeah. You got the two midweeks. Mm-hmm. We've got Missouri this weekend. Yep. Hawaii six game slate against okay to not good bad teams yeah. to at A&M. All right. Is there a loss in there? Mm. I would say odds are yes. I just don't know who it is. Yeah. I mean, there's again, as we talked about in the SEC, it's going to be tough to sweep anybody. Right. Uh, so, um, just because of those odds, and I would say probably there's going to be a loss in there somewhere. Uh, but I would be surprised if Alabama loses a series. Oh, for sure. So I think uh, I think whether well, either 36 or 32 games, I think 35 and one, 31 and one, whichever number it is, very yeah. possible. Sure. So let's dig into the oh no, you buffoon comments (laughs) that we're going to make about ourselves. It's time for On Second Thought. Uh Gray and Tom, going back on a few of our preseason predictions, would you like to go first or would you like for me to start? Uh, You can go ahead and start. I'm I'm pretty happy with my preseason predictions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rub it in. (laughs) Well, whatever. I'll start. (laughs) I said in Goldmine or Landmine, Oklahoma is a lock to make the champ series. I do not believe that anymore. In fact... I'm not totally sure they're going to win the Big 12. Wow. That would be a bigger surprise. Yeah, I think that Texas is the real deal. We have seen how good they are. Miranda Ellish has been potent in the circle. Their offense has really been working. They lost the game this past weekend, but overall, I've just been very impressed with Texas. I watched their game against Kentucky while we were in Tucson, and there's just something about that team right now. And as I I mentioned with Madison Shipman, I don't think, you know, 
Oklahoma's down. I still think they're a top five team in the country, mm-hmm. but there's just something about them this year that doesn't feel right. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. And uh, I just don't think anyone is a lock to make the championship series. Yeah. In Not February. this year. Yeah. It's just, you know, a lot of postseason in college softball is about matchups. So yeah. it's, you know, who, who are you matched up with? Which side of the bracket are you on? Who, where, where is the upset uh, happening to affect the rest of your bracket. So I, I think there's a lot that goes into it outside. I think Oklahoma's talented enough to be there, uh, but if they don't win the big 12, uh, it'll be because somebody other than Texas beats them in addition yeah. to Texas. And that know. could be Texas tech. That's a very right. good team. All of a sudden they beat Auburn. Could a Texas tech do it? Could it Oklahoma state do it? Um, you know, Baylor has usually been good. They're not as good this year, but they still have some talent. Are they able to, to grab one from them? Surprisingly, uh, that there there is some other talent out there, but Oklahoma needs to lose a game or two against somebody other than Texas to give the Longhorns that chance. All right, Tom, your turn. Uh, I'm going to start with my first one that I, I think I might have undershot a little bit. Uh, I said that Montana Fouts was going to be the SEC Freshman of the Year. She might be National Freshman of the Year. Wow. There's a lot of buzz, and yeah. rightfully so. That yeah. what did we say earlier? Seventy strikeouts and four walks. Right. And look at who that's against. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. I, I think you're onto something. Yeah. So and and it, if she is able to lead Alabama to where I think she can lead them this year, uh, it's she's going to continue to get that national buzz. And if she if she's able to do that, uh, I think she's going to be right there to win win a lot of national awards uh, in addition to uh, the SEC award. Well, she throws it hard. She strikes people out. She's been dominant and. You know what's weird? We were talking this past weekend. If you weren't listening to broadcast, we'll reference what we said now. She looked not good by her standards yeah. against, I believe that was Michigan State, mm-hmm. a 2-1 Alabama victory, and at the same time, no walks, 11 strikeouts. And that was a not good day for her. Yeah, yeah. Patrick Murphy said it was her C game. That's wild. <laughs> it was her C game. She allowed one run, five hits, and no walks, 11 strikeouts. It's just, it was amazing. Part of the reason why it was a C game because she had too many three, two and because she went three balls with too many people. It's just, it's amazing. Be better Montana. Right. So it's, again, it's hard to do that against air. Now we'll see what happens when she gets into the conference. How, how will she respond to the, to the gauntlet of of the, uh, the travel schedule coming up here uh, the next couple of weeks? How will that, how will that all work out? But uh, I've seen nothing to dissuade me from thinking she is going to be uh, she's going to be on that wall soon. <laughs> oh, for sure. I will say this before we move on. A good test will be that Sunday game against Missouri because Missouri is not that potent of an offensive team. They can hit. They're in the SEC. They're good. Yeah. But seeing Montana Fouts a second time, how will they react and how will she react to being seen a second time? And will she adjust her pitching and which pitches she throws for strikeouts? Mm-hmm. Cause she has multiple ways to get people out at the plate. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's it's going to be, you know, we've talked about with Kelly Barnhill the second time around, she's more hittable. We'll see how that affects Montana fouls. A team that has been hitting is one. I will now apologize to folks at LSU. And there was a young woman who works at LSU who commented on a tweet before the show even launched saying no. And I, it was as if she knew what I said about LSU in our premiere episode. Maybe she, she heard some intel from somebody. Maybe. I apologize, LSU. I think that this is a team that will almost definitely make it to Super Regionals, will probably host Regionals. I'd be very shocked if they don't, and is a legitimate 
contender to make it to Oklahoma City because the pitching is good enough. It's had some shaky moments. The loss to Indiana is a bit puzzling at home, but the hitting has been spectacular for the LSU Tigers, yeah. and the pitching has been at a level enough to where this team could maybe make some waves this year in the SEC, and I did not expect that. I had them, I think, eighth or ninth in the preseason polls. My my bad, Tiger fans. I think I put them around six, fifth or six, which is where they where the coaches put her. And I, and I just think that you know LSU, you know they are who they are. I don't. I, I just don't think programs at the level of LSU, the level of Alabama, even if they maybe don't have the names or they're not going to fall off that much. Yeah. And I just think LSU has established themselves. They're they're not going to fall. They're not going to fall out of that top tier in the SEC. Yeah, they don't have a real strikeout pitcher this year, at least looking at the stats. Shelby Sinceri leads them in strikeouts with 32, but they're just getting the job done, and yeah. that's that's what you want. Yep. All right, Tom, All your right. second one. Uh, I, I believe we'll go the second one of somebody other than Florida winning the SEC this year, uh, going with the field as far as that goes, and and I still feel good about that one. Yeah. yeah. And and we we afterwards we we posted what our what our uh, predictions were for the conference and i had tennessee winning it uh i had alabama up at number three i think i had florida number two and i i I feel i feel good about that i feel good about alabama maybe you know maybe being that that dark horse contender that that uh, caleb Rowe talked about would you say that you think that's the top three tennessee florida alabama as of right now yes yes yeah we'll see i think uh i think that my pick is hurting we talked about this early on oh gray you buffoon Mm. I had sweet, sweet summer child. No, uh, no. Well, it doesn't feel like summer outside right now, (laughs) but autumn storms and Mary half. I was very bought in, especially on half. Mm -hmm. I thought she could be SEC player of the year. Not with the way things are going now. Now the ERAs aren't bad. They're both, you know, mid ones, autumn storms, one eight, eight, but there's just something not quite clicking with them in the circle. The defense has not played well behind them. So Arkansas at number two, I'm completely backing away from it. I think it's Tennessee or Alabama or Florida. One of those three will win, and the other two will battle it out for second. That's how I think it goes, and I think Arkansas looks, at least on paper and from a little bit that I've seen, like to be quite honest, a 6-7-8 team in this league. Yeah, I think they're in that that mushy middle that I talked about Uh I, I don't see quite the the gap that that you were talking about. I, I think it could end up being that way, but as of right now, uh, I think Arkansas is kind of in in that floating around that area. Yeah, you're not. You have two pitchers that need a good defense behind them to make the just to make the routine plays, and Arkansas doesn't have that right now. And then offensively, uh, you're, you're gonna have you're gonna have to hit the ball a little bit better <laughs> moving forward when we get into conference play. And uh, again, Arkansas has has expectations. They don't. They aren't used to that. Uh, we'll see what happens moving forward, but I agree. I don't think they're in the top two, that's for sure. Yeah, we referenced the conference slate playing like they're playing now. You know, six, seven, eight. That might be best case scenario. Do you have any more, Tom? Uh, and then I, I think I just I'm still good with this just being one of the more exciting, you know, college yes. softball seasons uh, in recent memory because there is parity. A lot of teams that were invincible in the past are nowhere near invincible anymore. Uh, you know, any team can beat any other team on a given day. Uh, even more so than than has been in the past. So I'm all in on that one as well. I agree. And I really think that the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational helped with that because you got some great matchups to start the year that were all on TV. And that was a really good thing to help drive the interest of the sport. Right. And, you know, it was a great point made by Madison Shipman that I had not thought about, about how teams 
because more games are on TV, that means more teams have more film. So, so you're able to prepare more for these pitchers. So you're going to put them in different situations. You're going to put hitters in different situations than they're used to as well. So um, yeah, that has a lot to do with it. They'll, they'll just the you're going to see, especially after basketball is over with, this sport is just going to continue to explode as far as, as television coverage, and it's going to be must-see TV uh, for a couple of months there toward the end for sure. I would say must-see TV this weekend with Tennessee and Florida and, you know, Alabama, Missouri. That should be pretty good too, yeah, especially sure. no. for the Alabama fans listening. Okay, we're going to have a little bit of fun before we sign off. It's time okay. for the Is This on TV? Comment of the Week. <laughs> it, y- yeah. You get it. You get it. Yes. Tom, your is this on TV comment of the week is um, I just think that the general thought, and this is a, it is a Alabama fan issue, uh, but not anyone in, not anyone in particular is a general thought about the fan base where we kind of have the football mentality with all our sports Yep. to where if Alabama doesn't win a game 50 to nothing, then we're not any good. Nobody else is ever allowed to be good. And it just, it, it it's not helpful. It's not a healthy way to think about things. <laughs> and, and especially, especially in a 58 game season, right? This was a, your sport with softball where, you know, if you were to lose a game to, if we'd lost the game to Michigan state, does that mean the season is over? No. Now in football, if you were to lose a game to the Citadel, yes, that game, that, that pretty much <laughs> ruins that season. But if softball, you know, sometimes losses happen. Sometimes you don't, you know, the, the, the ball doesn't land. Sometimes Bailey Hempill crushes the ball and it's right to somebody all the time. <laughs> that's, a, that's what happens sometimes. And I think just the fan base needs to understand that, you know, a win is a win and you, you can't, you should not be upset about the way you win games. Absolutely. And to your point that we made in the broadcast on Saturday, it, it does not matter whether it's 15 nothing or 3 to 2 but i would rather alabama win games like the 2-1 victory over michigan state or 3-2 right. over southern miss or 3-1 because those are the games that a you never really felt threatened if it's 1-1 with florida in the 6th i'm feeling threatened sure 1-1 against southern miss not so much right those are the games that i want this team playing now so that they are ready for when it gets tight because mm-hmm. they're undefeated they blew out Arizona okay. They wound up defeating Minnesota the second time by a pretty big score. Um, the first game was never really in doubt because Minnesota didn't do a lot against Montana Fouts. Yeah. But it's going to get hard. And sure. games like this past weekend, they prepare you for that mentally, physically, and emotionally. Yeah, and, and, and that's just – and just because you win a game a certain way – that doesn't mean you're going to play that exact same way later on. Yep. I, I think we have a lot there's, – there's also the thought that – Okay, we on, we only beat Michigan State two to one. Well, there's no way we can beat Florida now because we're gonna have. To, well, you're gonna play. It's gonna be a different game. You know, yes. somebody else might be pitching. You're gonna be hitting different. There's there's a, you know, games are not played. You know, thinking about later on, they're played on that game as it happens right then. They're not played on paper and they're not played later on. So that's why they play the game later on. Yes, my is this on TV comment of the week. Same with you. It, do not think that this Alabama team cannot hit because of a rough weekend at the plate. There were a lot of things here. Here's what I don't like people that look at the score and make an assumption based on a two, one game, right? They don't see Bailey Hempill hammering two would be doubles that the third baseman makes spectacular catches on, right? They don't see a lot of the things. If you're just looking at the surface, it's exactly like we talked about earlier. You rub away the makeup, what's underneath 
you know, these games could have easily been more high scoring for Alabama, just a couple bad bounces here and there. And you also have to keep in mind, Arizona, six runs off Taylor McQuillan, one of the best pitchers in the Pac-12. How about the seven-run explosion against Minnesota, against Amber Pfizer? You think the best pitcher in the Big Ten, definitely top two. The seven runs against Cal State Fullerton is very important. You know, there's there's a lot of games where Alabama's put up a lot of runs, and and sometimes you have just crazy games. You have like that Murray State game. Where you, know, you had you had to score two touchdowns to win the ball game. That's just the way it happens sometimes. Yeah, and but that doesn't mean because Murray State scored ten runs on you. That doesn't mean that everybody that that you play will score ten runs on you. Because I don't think the rest of the games they barely equaled a combined ten runs. Yeah. So I mean, it's you know, it's the way the game is sometimes. You yeah. Just have to roll with it. It is what it is. Yeah. Roll with it. Pun intended. Right. I mean, if it was a month's worth of data that you could put in and say, okay, well, here's where. Then, then you can maybe understand a little bit of the, of the frustration, but there, it's there, it's, a it's not there. It's one weekend, yes, and it was happening everywhere. Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. Everybody was struck. UCLA. Right. There is no reason UCLA loses to Michigan. Right. No reason. Shouldn't be, but it, it happens. Yeah, it's it's called college sports. Yes. Look at us trying to predict what college kids are going to do. <laughs> We're going to sound like idiots. Yeah. Well, that's the way it rolls. <laughs> Great show here. The second episode of the Out of the Box podcast. All right, Tom. Before we sign off, where can people find you and your fantastic Jeopardy profile picture? <laughs> yes, you can get that at T Canterbury RTR uh, on Twitter, and that's that's where I you know again the. The most unbiased uh, a biased man can be. <laughs> and also cheers quotes. Cheers quotes are, are there every once in a while. You got uh, Jeopardy references. We got uh, Alabama references. Some Maybe some uh, anti-people across the state references. <laughs> but uh, that being said, though, we, we are sending uh, thoughts and prayers and everything with the, uh, with the tornado that happened in Lee County there. We, we have a lot of fun with, with making, making jokes about, about our friends over across the state. But uh, definitely hearts and, and thoughts and prayers with them right now. Yeah, absolutely. Tough, tough weekend all across the state of Alabama. And we're definitely praying for the folks over by Auburn and out in Lee County. Um, my Twitter handle at gray underscore Robertson. It's a lot of softball tweets to be quite honest <laughs> and, and, and pretty and movies. I like to tweet about movies, yeah. but at gray G R A Y underscore Robertson and the show at out of the box underscore pod on Twitter. Thank you to our fantastic guests, Kayla bro, Madison Shipman, both from the sec network, both former, sec softball stars and all americans a great show thank you for joining us i don't think we're going to be here next week because we're going to be on a beach yeah i'm i'm planning on just being in hawaii yeah that's okay with everybody else that's and fine. you know we got some softball games to do we'll we'll handle that but do you yeah. have a hawaiian shirt ready uh, i need to get one okay yeah. I've got four coming in. Oh, wow. Yes. I went a little ham on the online shopping. <laughs> Thank you, Amazon Prime, by the way. Wow. Yes. All right. Looking so forward to that. We're ready for Hawaii. That's next week. And then the week after, before the Texas A&M series, we will be back with a new episode of Out of the Box. So from my partner, Tom Canterbury, and our fantastic guests tonight, Kayla Bro and Madison Chipman, I'm Gray Robertson, signing off here for the Out of the Box podcast. Episode two, we did it. Episode three will be out in a few weeks. Have a great night, everybody.